As always, it's so good to be in the presence of God with his people. Amen. I want to thank Sister Peggy. Thank you and Brother Billy for loving the church like you do. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share what God has put on my heart. And if you would remember Brother Billy in your prayers this morning. Amen. We are 11 days from Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? (laughs) 11 days. This year is almost over. It is just almost over. Uh, But I'm thankful. And this is a time that we use uh, on our American calendar to turn our attention back to God in praise and in worship. In case you didn't know, in case you haven't heard, or in case you need a reminder, Thanksgiving started out and has always been a Christian holiday a day set aside for us to give thanks to God for all he's done, for his protection, for his provision, and for his care. And I want to talk a little bit about this idea of thanksgiving today. Or you can say it this way. You can just turn the two words around, giving thanks. Look at the person you're sitting beside and say, thank you. I love you and I appreciate you. Come on. The year was 1621. Or at least that's the year that we ascribed to being the first Thanksgiving celebration here on American soil. And the pilgrims, the Puritans, they gathered together with their Indian friends who had helped them overcome a very harsh winter and had helped them and given them uh, instruction and some good wisdom on how to grow crops in this new land. And, and that year they reaped a bountiful harvest. And so in December, not November, but in December of 1621, they held a three-day feast, a festival. And those three days were dedicated towards prayer and turning their attention towards the God of the Bible to give him thanks for providing for them that year. And uh, I want to, hopefully today, I want to inspire you to develop or to uh, knock some of the cobwebs off of your heart in the area of giving thanks. Can we do that this morning? Come on. I love the, uh, what the worship team, I love how they led us into the presence of God this morning. And, and I love the, the songs that they picked out. I think they were totally appropriate for today. Talking about the goodness of God. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We're going to stay right there uh, for this morning. While you're turning there, I'll, I'll just share with you a quote from the first Thanksgiving proclamation in the United States of America. This is by our first president, George Washington. He said this, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the protection and provision of almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits and humbly to ask for his protection and favor. Therefore, I do appoint Thursday, the 26th day of November, 1789, that we may all unite to give to him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection. And I don't know what you learn about in history class, but this nation was built. Its foundation is the word of God. And I believe that is why we have been so blessed in this country is because we started and we built this foundation on God's word. And, 
every single president since that time, up until uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was our 32nd president, they each had proclamations to, to set aside a day of the year. In fact, it wasn't until, uh, what was it, 1941 that we started celebrating Thanksgiving uh, on a certain date every year. Instead, every year the president would proclaim a special day to give thanks and honor to God. But in 1941, our president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he said this, I, Franklin D. Roosevelt, President of the United States of America, do hereby designate and set aside Thursday, the 20th day of November, 1941, as a day to be observed in giving thanks to the heavenly source of our earthly blessings. On the day appointed for this purpose, let us reflect at our homes and places of worship on the goodness of God. That's a good proclamation, if I do say so myself. Come on. Amen. So I want to read from Scripture today about this idea of giving thanks and just how important it is for us as believers to live a lifestyle of perpetual thanksgiving. Luke chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to go back to to more of the beginning of the chapter later on, but we're going to start in verse 11 for right now. It says this, as Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, someone say, as they went. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's point number one. Thanksgiving is the difference. It is the difference. In a believer's heart, Thanksgiving is the difference. And I want to show you how we learn this from this portion of scripture in Luke chapter 17. But for a second, how many of you wish that there was some sort of gauge, something that you could look at that would help you to understand how hot or how cold you are in your relationship with God? Does anybody wish that that existed? Like there's an app on your watch you could pull up and be like, oh man, uh, I, I feel distant from God today. I need to, I need to pray or I need to get into the word or, or this is a, a perfect verse 
that that I should be reading right now. Is am I the only one? Y'all, y'all are too spiritual. Y'all are like, you know what? I, I'm good. I'm good. I wish there was something I could look at that was like, hey, Sam, listen, you're growing distant from God. You're going the wrong direction. You you should be hot, but you're cold over here. And I don't know if you've ever been in a vehicle before where the temperature gauge has started to go up. Some of you are like, I didn't even know that existed. Uh, as a teenager, I didn't either. And my grandfather, before I was born, in the year 1985, I wasn't born in 85, but before I was born in 85, my grandfather purchased a GMC Sierra. It's a beautiful truck, 1985. It was loaded out at the time, just beautiful seats. I mean, the, the interior was gorgeous. And, and uh, after he passed away, the truck uh, came down to my dad, and he drove it for a long time, and then he got something else. And so as teenagers growing up, uh, myself and my brothers and sisters, we uh, had the opportunity to drive this old truck that my dad kept meticulous. And uh, we, we got to drive it as my parents had newer vehicles then, and and one day I had gone to work as a 16-year-old teenager, and I was on my way back home from work that afternoon, and all of a sudden I started to smell something. It's never a good thing whenever you start to smell a burning smell as you're driving. Now, I know we're used to smelling the paper mill if you drive past here frequently, and that's all right. A lot of the people at the paper mill said it smells like money. Uh, but the burning smell does not. Uh, but as a teenager, I didn't know anything about mechanics. I didn't know anything about car maintenance. And, and so I'm driving home, and, and I start to smell this. And then as I'm driving, I start to see smoke coming up out of the hood, from the cracks in the hood. And, and so I pulled over because I started hearing, and I was like, that can't be good. <laughs> Those of you in here that have any mechanical mind whatsoever, you know exactly what was going on. That engine overheated and started throwing a rod and cracked the engine, and that was the last time, I believe, this truck uh, had been driven. And let me tell you, as a teenager, I thought, oh, my goodness, my dad is going to kill me. And this is the end of it. This is how it all ends. He's going he's gonna to get on to me. Thankfully, he was gracious and and uh, as, as much as he probably was upset, he at least showed me uh, an understanding heart, and I'm thankful for that. But had I known about this temperature gauge, and had I known what it meant whenever it started going up, I could have pulled over and killed the engine and, and let that little baby cool down before any real damage had been done. And I don't know about you, but in our walk with God, it would be nice to me if we had some kind of gauge to look at that would say, hey, you're, you're kind of off track right now. Or, hey, things are going great. Keep it up. Like, I would enjoy that. And I would say this. I think that there is. I think there is a gauge that we can look at to help us determine where we are in our lives and where we are in our walk with Jesus Christ. And I think this gauge is called giving thanks, thanksgiving. Because here's the thing, if you as a believer do not have a perpetual practice of giving thanks, then I think that could be the indicator in our lives that maybe we're not 
where we should be. Maybe we're not doing what we should be doing because as believers, our hearts should be screaming praise, should be screaming worship to Jesus because he has been good. He has been good. And Jesus says, he has these 10 lepers. He's walking through. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's just passing through and he's going through this village. And, and at a distance, there are 10 men that scream out to him, Jesus, how they knew he was Jesus. I don't know. Maybe they had heard something about him through the pipeline, but, but they had heard about him and they, they start shouting, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And let me tell you why they were so desperate. It's because they had a very ugly disease called leprosy. Now, today, you probably don't know anybody that has ever had leprosy because these days we have cures and remedies and medicines for that disease. In this time, they didn't. There was no cure. If you contracted leprosy, and it's a contagious disease, it's somewhat contagious, if you contracted it, you could understand for sure that this would, unless you got run over by a horse or something, this would be what would cause your death. If you started to develop and it, and it would start as you, you would start to notice your skin swelling and, and itching and, and then you would start to notice your hair would begin to fall out and, and then it really starts on the tips of your fingers and the tips of your toes where this disease, basically what it is, is your body begins to rot before you die. And you start to lose feeling in your fingertips and in your toes, and, and it just rapidly spreads through your body until your organs begin to decay while you are living. It's a terrible disease, absolutely terrible. And not only did these 10 men have to deal with the physical effects of leprosy, but in this day, if you had leprosy, since it was contagious and there was no cure, they would force you out of your city, out of the community, and you would have to live on the outskirts of the town, completely isolated. So what they would do is they would find other people with leprosy, and they would kind of live together to support one another through what they knew for sure would be their last days. It's an awful disease, absolutely terrible. And they're crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And what does Jesus tell them? He says, be it unto you according to your faith. You are healed, right? No, what does he say? Go show yourselves to the priests. Go show yourselves to the priests. At that point, they were not healed of their disease yet. But in their obedience, they walked out their faith, heading on their way to be examined by the priest, which, by the way, according to the law of Moses, if you had a skin disease, you would be forced out of the community. And if you thought that it was getting better, you could go to the priest. He would examine you. He would say, okay, this is the way things are looking right now. We're going to put you in quarantine for seven days. And at the end of seven days, you can come out. The priest will examine your body again like a doctor. And if at, that, at the end of those seven days, things are progressing and you're getting better, then you will be declared as, as being pure and having uh, beaten this disease. Only it had never happened before. 
Up until this moment, we had never seen or heard from the Bible anyone that had ever been cured of leprosy, but they had enough faith to be obedient. And as they went to to the priest to have their bodies examined, it says they looked down and, wait a second, I'm healed. It's gone. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine the joy in their hearts? Because not only will they not have to deal with the, the, the atrocities of having this terrible disease, but now they could go back into their communities. They could go back to their homes. They could go back to the loving embrace of their family that they had so desperately wanted for so long. Not only that, but if you had been a leper at this time, the idea within religion was that if you had leprosy, you had to have sinned terribly because they believed that there was some sort of physical affirmity. It was a direct result of you having sinned. Can you imagine? Not only are you thrown out of town, not only can you not be with your family and the ones you love, but everyone is looking at you thinking that you are a terrible criminal. Can you imagine the burden? So whenever they do experience that healing in their body, can you imagine the joy that they had? But the Bible tells us that only one of those people went back to Jesus. And as he went back, just as before he had been screaming, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now he comes back and he's still shouting. Only this time he's saying, praise God, praise God. He falls at the feet of Jesus, thanking him, worshiping him for all he had done. Can I tell you, Jesus noticed. He noticed. And he could tell that there was a difference in this man's heart. What did Jesus say? Didn't, didn't I, weren't there, weren't there 10 of them? Weren't there 10 of you guys here earlier? Has, has no one returned to give glory to God except you? You're the only one? Can you imagine Jesus' heart in this moment? Can I tell you something? Heart of thanksgiving makes a difference to God. Enough of a difference that Jesus points it out to his disciples. Is, is he the only one that came back to give glory to God? Wow. Wow. Can I be pastoral for just a moment? I, I believe that within, you know, our, our church, we believe in expressive worship. We believe in expressive praise. And we're an expressive people. If you go to any other denomination or any other church, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you are the crazy ones, right? In fact, I got some friends that go to different denominations, and they're always poking fun at me. And I poke fun at them for being boring and dry and stale and all those things. But they point, poke fun at me. Oh, y'all, you're the crazy people. You're the crazy ones. And I say, yes, we are. We sure are. We're crazy about Jesus, right? But can I be pastoral for just a moment, though? I think a lot of times in the in the charismatic or the, the Pentecostal background church, I think we put a lot of emphasis and a lot of focus on the miraculous things of God. And I think sometimes we miss the heart of God. Is that all right to say? There's 10 of them. 
Jesus tells them, go to the priest. What he's saying is this, fulfill your religious duty. Have him examine you. Go through the process. That's the religious, that's the ceremonial law from the law of Moses. Jesus tells them, go and do this. And all of them go, but one of them, as soon as he finds out he's healed, he's turning back around. He's going to go give praise and honor and thanks first. And I believe that we could do, if I can, I'm not trying to get on anybody's toes, but I believe we could do a little bit better because I think a lot of times we're looking for a handout instead of a hand to hold. Is that okay to say? <laughs> Listen, our hearts should be so focused on the heart of God that we see the miraculous things from the hand of God, but don't miss his heart, church. Don't miss his heart. That's what makes the difference. Jesus noticed he noticed whenever one man came back with a heart of thankfulness. He noticed, and I want you to, to see this, he noticed that there were some who didn't come back. Church, whenever we neglect to have a thanksgiving attitude, when we neglect to express our praise and worship back to God for not only what he's done, but for just who he is, he notices he notices. It makes all of the difference. And I would encourage you as a Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled believer, it's good to look for the miraculous things of God, and we should. But we shouldn't get so caught up in that that we miss the heart of God and that we miss our opportunity to just go back and to be a thankful people. Come on. Come on. John chapter 4, verse 23, this is what Jesus says. He says, the time is coming, indeed it's here right now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Look what he says right here. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says this, who is God looking for? The person that gave the most in the offering box? Is he looking for the person that served the most time uh, serving the community? Is he looking for the person with the most perfect church attendance record? Is he looking for the person that, that prays 24-7? He's looking for the worshipers. He's looking for the ones who will worship in spirit and in truth, whose hearts are set on Jesus, just Jesus. And I tell you, church, if we do these things, we're going to see the miraculous. We're going to see these wonderful things. What is, what is Jesus said? He said, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these other things will be added onto you, but seek God first. Come on. He's looking for worshipers. Thankfulness, thanksgiving is the difference. Here's point number two. Thanksgiving builds our faith. It builds our faith. Listen, church, faith is the cornerstone of Christianity. You cannot earn salvation by your works, the things you do, the things you say. Salvation only comes... By grace, th through, through faith. <laughs> Everything in our walk with God as believers is built.
built on this idea of faith. Can I encourage you, though, there is a certain way to build your faith. The Word of God says that faith comes by hearing. That is hearing what? The Word of God. God commanded the Israelites once a year to gather together and to read aloud in front of the entire community of Israel to read aloud the word of God. Why did he command them to do that? It's because these pages right here are filled with story after story after story of what God has done. And as you look back at what God has done in the past, what does that do? That builds up your faith for what God is doing right now and what he will do in the future, right? Are we getting this? Is everybody all right? Is everybody good? We good? All right. Listen, this is the idea. If you think back on what God has done, it's going to give you a heart of thanksgiving. Not, not just, and, and I'm, I, let me tell you this. You, there's a difference between gratitude and thanksgiving. Can we say that? You can feel gratitude in your heart for something. If I gave you $100, you could be grateful in your heart. But listen to this. You ready? Listen. You cannot be thanksgiving in your heart. That didn't even make sense. <laughs> you can't be thanksgiving in your heart. Why? Because thanksgiving is a verb. It's an action. It's something that you do. What it's doing is saying, I'm grateful, but I'm going to express my gratitude. I'm going to show you how grateful I am. That's called worship and praise. And this is what we teach our youth all the time. In fact, some of my youth are in here today. Are you ready? Worship is, come on, where are my students at? Worship, come on. Worship is, it's an outward expression of our love for God. Come on, come on. We, we taught on worship a, a few days ago, and I, I told them this. I, I, I said, this might hurt a little bit, but this is not worship. If you just said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's not worship. You're singing. What is worship? Worship is expressing. It's showing God your love. Worship has to be an outward expression because of its nature. You can't just give thanks in your heart. You've got to express thanksgiving. You've got to give thanks. And let me tell you, whenever this one leper came back, what was he doing? He was shouting, praise God! He falls at Jesus' feet. I'm sorry, I'm going to wake up the baby. He falls at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks for all he had done. Come on. And I want you to notice what Jesus says. Uh, what, well, before, before we look at what Jesus says, let, let's look back for just a moment into an earlier verse here in Luke chapter 17. Jesus, uh, before he comes into the village where the, the formerly leprous people are, uh, it says he's having a discussion with his disciples, and he's talking about this concept of forgiveness. Which if you've ever been in the position to where you must forgive somebody, it's not easy, and it takes practice, but we're not going to go there. Uh, 
But Jesus is talking to them about forgiveness. And notice what he says. I think it's in verse 4. He says, even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time returns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. It's right there in your Bible, uh, Luke 17, verse 4. You must forgive. I want to point this out. Forgiveness is not optional in the kingdom of God. God commands us to forgive. He said, you must forgive. I want you to notice what the disciple, because imagine you're sitting there, you're asking Jesus, you know, hey, Jesus, this person did me wrong. They're so mean. And what, what do I do, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, if he does you wrong seven times a day, and he comes back each time and asks you for forgiveness, what you should do is forgive him. You must forgive him. Notice what the disciples say in verse 5. I love this. The apostles said to the Lord, uh, you're going to have to give us more faith. <laughs> We're going to need a little bit more faith, Jesus. You're telling us something that's very hard. Come on, show us how to increase our faith. And right after this discussion, it says they're pulling up into this village and 10 lepers start shouting at Jesus, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And I can just imagine, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I could just imagine Jesus turning around to his disciples and he's like, watch this. Hey, go show yourselves to the priests. And these 10 lepers are like, Okay, okay, let's go, let's go. I can just imagine Jesus looking back at his disciples and he's like, you want to increase your faith? Just be obedient. Just be obedient. And then as they're still there, the lepers had left, one of them comes running back. And he falls at the feet of Jesus, screaming, praise God. Thank you for all that you've done. And I want you to notice this in his declaration. Is it says that he thanked Jesus for all he had done. What, was the, what did he say, though? He said, praise God. He falls at the feet of Jesus, exclaiming, praise God. I don't know if you get the significance of that, but in his thanksgiving, he's declaring in front of this man, Jesus looks every bit as human as you and me standing there. He's, he's not walking around with a halo on top of his head and, and just, you know, perfectly bright white linen clothes. And he, he looks just like another human. But this man runs up to him and is exclaiming with his thanksgiving, you are God. Because no one can do what you just did. He comes with a heart of thanksgiving. And do you know what Jesus says to him? Stand up and go. Why? You're Faith has healed you. I want to show you something real quick because I'm a Bible nerd. Y'all stay with me for just a second, okay? This is, this is going to be good. But whenever Jesus says these words, you have to remember, he, Jesus was not walking around in Cass County. He's not speaking the English language. But he's over in the Middle East on his way to Jerusalem whenever all of this happens. And they at least it's recorded in our Bible as, as having been a Greek conversation. Perhaps it could have been in Hebrew, but Luke wrote it down in Greek. We don't know exactly how that worked, but I believe Jesus was speaking Greek. Why? Because he was talking to a Samaritan. That is the common language of that time. And so whenever Jesus has this conversation in verse 17, could you put that back up there for me, please, Taya? Chapter 17, verse 17. 
It says, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? So in your Bible right there, it probably has the word heal, the English word heal. Didn't I heal 10 men? Well, this word heal comes from the Greek word. It's been translated into our English word heal, but it comes from the Greek word katharos, which means to make clean. Jesus is asking this, didn't I make 10 people clean? Talking about their physical ailment of leprosy. Didn't I cleanse 10 people? And then he goes on to say, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. And you may be reading from the King James or New King James or an ESV, and it might say, your faith has made you well. That's what a lot of the versions say. Your faith has made you well. Well, this Greek word that Luke is writing down right here is not katharos. Whenever Jesus said, didn't I katharos 10 people? Now, whenever Jesus is saying, your faith has sozo you. It's a different Greek word. It's not the same word. And this word sozo is the same word that Gabriel used as he appears to Joseph in a dream, telling him that Mary, his fiance, is going to bear a child, even though she's a virgin woman. This is what he says. This is what Gabriel says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It's the same word. It says, she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will sozo his people from their sins. And in that scripture right there, it's translated as save. He will save his people from their sins. This is the exact same word that whenever Jesus is asleep in the boat and his disciples are freaking out because there's a storm going on, they run to him and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And then they, they woke into the, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 25 says, the disciples woke him up shouting, Lord, sozo us, we're going to drown. And there in our English translations, we translate as Lord, save us. We're going to drown. In fact, this word is used 102 times. Sozo is used 102 times in the New Testament. And only three times have we translated it as healed. The other times it's translated as saved. Saved. I want you to see this because, and I don't mean to get too nerdy for you. Please forgive me. I'm a huge Bible nerd. I love, I love the languages and studying all the little intricacies of Scripture. But... In case you didn't know, the, the first English Bible to be produced and, and widely available was the authorized version, the, the King James Version of the Bible. In 1611, it was printed. And at that time, the people who were translating from Hebrew and Greek into our English language for the first time, they did a wonderful job. But there were several things that, that we've learned since 1611 about these ancient languages of Hebrew and Greek, and we have a better understanding of the usage of the words that they used and their meanings for certain contexts. And in most Bibles today, you will see where Jesus said, your faith has 
healed you or your faith has made you well, really that's a mistranslation of the scriptures. Because if you go back and look at this word sozo, it means saved, saved. So what is Jesus saying? He said, didn't I cleanse 10 men? Where are the other nine? And he looks down at this one man and he says, stand up and go, your faith has saved you. Ooh, (laughs) I want you to notice we said Thanksgiving is the difference in the believer's heart. There were nine that chose to keep going on their way and one came back. And with a thankful heart, it gave him the motivation and the encouragement to praise Jesus as having been God. And Jesus looks at him and says this, not only are you cleansed, of your physical ailment, but you have been cleansed of your spiritual disease called sin too. You have been saved. Wow. Wow. That's incredible, church. Listen, I don't ever want us to forget this. Thanksgiving produces or it builds up faith in the believer. Whenever Emily and I, whenever we're facing something that's difficult in our family or, or in our careers or, or in any, with our children or anything that's going on, whenever we're facing something that seems huge, like a huge obstacle, we've begun reminding one another to be thankful. Be thankful. I'll be going through something. I'll be stressed out, and Emily will say, but God, he's provided up until this point. He's going to do it again. We're able to look back on our past as God told the Israelites to do. Look back on your past and remember what God did then. And that will give you enough faith to be confident that what he's doing now will happen. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. Why? Because we've got a good God. And even though the obstacle seems huge, God, I'm going to choose to be thankful right now because I know what you've already done. And in my thankfulness, it's going to build up my faith so that I can believe you for what you're going to do. Thankfulness will build up your faith. Here's my last point I want to share with you today. Thanksgiving is a choice. It's a choice. Thanksgiving is the difference Thanksgiving builds up your faith, and Thanksgiving is a choice. How many lepers did Jesus heal? Ten. How many came back? Just one. Unfortunately, we never hear about the other nine. Maybe they came back later. I don't know, but the Bible never tells us that they did. It seems to me that they went on their merry little way to to go back to the lives that they had been hoping and dreaming for, but there was one who did choose to put his life on hold for just a moment to come back and give thanks to God. Thanksgiving is a choice and Jesus notices. Can I put it this way? Jesus notices when you worship and he notices when you refuse to worship. Is that all right? We still doing good, (laughs) y'all? I want to read this verse one more time, and I want you to try to, as we read it, just close your eyes for just a second, and as I read it, just try to feel Jesus' heart as he's saying this. He says, didn't I heal 10 men? 
where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this four? Can you feel that, church? Can you feel the weightiness of Jesus' questions right there? You can open your eyes. Can you feel, like, can you, just reading through this, I can just feel his heart in that moment, like, why in the world did the others not come back? Like, where are they? They should be here with us right now. I can just feel his heart in that moment, and I, I want to encourage you, don't hold back your praise, church. When I grew up in a, a church denomination as a young kid where, where praise was kind of just that amazing grace. And I remember the first time I came here to Calvary and, and I'm seeing men and women with their hands in the air. I see people pouring out their hearts to God. And that was, that was amazing, incredible. But you know what really hit me in that moment? My first time, I was around 14 years old. The first time we came, we came to a youth rally right here. You know what really touched my heart? Was that there were kids my age with their hands up in the air, pouring out their hearts to God. And I remember thinking, this is weird. These people are strange. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, my head is telling me, uh-uh. And my heart is saying, just do it. Come on, just worship God. Just be free to lift your hands. Be free to express your praise. Listen, we have a God who is worthy of it, church. And I don't mean to step on your toes if, if you come from a background uh, like I did where, where things, uh, the, the feeling is that we, we should be reverent in our worship. I understand that. I get that. And I appreciate that heart and that mentality. But whenever we read about worship in the Bible, most of it is what people considered was irreverent. The woman coming into to the, the Pharisee's house and, and she starts pouring oil on Jesus' feet and, and washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And everyone's like, she shouldn't do that. She spent too much money just to be pouring that perfume out on his feet. We could have sold that and given it away to the poor. And what does Jesus say? He says, for the rest of time, people are going to talk about what this woman did. Oh, can you see the value that God puts on our praise? Whenever the one leper comes back, Jesus says, where are the other nine? Can you see the value that he puts on our praise? So church, why would we hold it back? Come on. We serve a good God. A good God. Wow. Whew, sorry, y'all. I'm fired up. Mm. I love it. Listen, when we praise, God notices and he values our praise. Can I ask you this? What else do you have to give him? He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need a religious heart. He doesn't need a religious spirit. He doesn't need your time. What does he want? He wants your praise. He wants your worship. We should be the most thankful. People should be looking at us and being like, oh, they're thankful for everything. They're, they're eating Campbell's chicken noodle soup, and they're over there eating it and thanking God like it's a steak from a five-star restaurant. <laughs> like, what's wrong? Like, something different about these people. We should be that kind of people where our thanksgiving just shouts praises to God. Don't hold back your thanksgiving, church. Don't hold it back. 
Remember, you can't be thanksgiving in your heart. It has to come out. It has to come out. Come on. Some of you may say, well, Sam, I praise God in my heart, and God knows my heart. So how are you going to tell me the way that I should worship? Can I, be, can I lovingly say this to you? God does know your heart, and he knows whatever excuse or reason that you've used to hold back your praise. And I promise you, whatever reason that is, is not a reason that honors God. Is that okay? I say it with all the love in my heart. And I'm not saying that, that you got to just act a fool whenever worship's going on. <laughs> what I'm saying is this, give your thanks to God. Express your thanks to God. Be intentional about how you say, God, thank you. Mm, I love it. Hey, Eli and Elliot, could y'all run up here real quick? Ask them if they would help me out. I want to show you what I mean by this and just how powerful the act of praise and worship and thanksgiving can be. So I want to I want to show you something. This is this is a, a very childish illustration. Y'all got to remember I work with children and youth for a living. That's what I do. Uh, so this is a very childish illustration, and it's going to be really simple. And you're going to be like, what? But just hang out with me for just a second. So I want to I want you to imagine that that this tote right here is you, and these balloons inside of it are the gratitude that you have in your heart. And I want you to notice as, as long as there's gratitude in your heart, you can see it, it, it looks wonderful, it feels good, and you can make you know, every, every explanation you can, God, I'm so thankful. But listen, there's a difference between gratitude being in your heart and thanksgiving that's expressed. Y'all still with me? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul is telling the church, he says this, be thankful in all all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I want you to notice, what did he say? Be thankful in all circumstances, even the ones that are really bad. <laughs> I just want to complain for a minute, God. I, I just want to, oh, is it okay if I'm just angry for a minute? How many of you ever felt like that? Like, I have a right, God, to be angry. I've, I've felt like that a million times. But I love what Paul says. He says, give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? It's God's will for you. It's God's will for you. And I want you to notice something. You can hold gratitude in your heart, but nothing incredible is happening here. But if we would learn to take the gratitude from our heart, and give it to God, something incredible can happen. I want you to notice this. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Even whenever the enemy comes slapping you upside the head, even whenever the bank keeps calling, even ever, whenever your spouse is, is, is not getting along with you, <laughs> even when your children are acting like little devils, right? We can be thankful in all circumstances because here's the reality, church, situations are going to come. Bad circumstances are going to come. They might look like these two fellas right here. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. 
But bad circumstances are going to happen in your life. And Paul says, be thankful in those bad circumstances too. Because I, I want you to notice something. If you just start to complain and a bad circumstance comes and slaps you upside the head, you're going to be knocked down on the floor crying kicking and screaming. But if we would just choose, if we would practice having a thankful heart, I want you to notice, no matter how many times circumstances and the enemy comes and knocks you over the head, I want you to notice every time you'll keep getting back up. Are you ready? It doesn't matter. The devil can come and he can knock you down a million times. But if you choose to express your thankfulness, you're going to keep getting up over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I want you to notice something. If you would just learn to let praise be a habit in your life, it's going to be really hard for the devil to keep you down. Let me show you circumstances. Can y'all come right over here, please? All right. Y'all ready for this? I'm going to give you this. Don't hold on to it. I just want you to hit it down over and over. You ready? Go ahead. Hit it down. Keep going, keep going. I got one for you, uh, Eli, circumstance. You ready? Go ahead, hit it down. Don't let it go up, don't let it go up. See, your thankfulness, if you have a thankful heart, you're going to keep rising up. You're going to keep getting up. No matter how much he tries to keep you down, you're going to keep getting up. And I want you to notice something. I want you to notice, no matter how hard the enemy tries to keep you down, if you have a heart of thanksgiving, you're going to keep getting up. You're going to keep getting up. If you continue to give your praise to God, he can't hold you down. You're going to keep getting up. You're going to keep getting up. Come on. Y'all thank our circumstances right here. Thank you, guys. Y'all can have a seat. I told you that was real, real, real childish. I know. But it gives us an understanding of what a heart of gratitude that is expressed can look like. Can look like. So can we just make a decision as a church family to not be a people that withholds our praise, but a people that in every circumstance, we will give you praise, God. My circumstance isn't good. And I want you to notice this. I'm sorry, we're wrapping up and leaving. But I want you to notice this. Paul doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Because not all circumstances are good. He says give thanks in all circumstances. Even whenever you are going through what feels like the pits of hell, you can choose to be thankful. And if you choose to be thankful, even as bad as the circumstance may be, Your heart is set on God. You're not just looking for a handout, but you've got a hand to hold on to, and he's going to keep picking you up. He's going to keep picking you up, church. Come on, would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to close with this. Thankfulness, thanksgiving is the difference in the believer. Thanksgiving builds our faith, and you have a choice. You have a choice to be thankful or not. So can we practice Thanksgiving this week? We got Thanksgiving in 11 days. And the American holiday, Thanksgiving's in, Ameri- in, in 11 days. But we don't have to wait for a certain date in November to give thanks.
We can worship God in every circumstance. I want to give you something practical to do this week. I want you this week to make it your priority. I know there's a lot going on. Holidays are coming up. But I want you to make this your priority to practice giving thanks and do it in a practical way. Call your boss. Write your employees a letter. Go sit down with your parents or your grandparents that may feel neglected. Take your grown child out for a cup of coffee. I don't know what what it will look like for you. I encouraged our kids on Wednesday night. I said, hey, this week, you better make your mom and daddy feel like they are the entire world. (laughs) Like show them, express your thankfulness to them. And I want you to be intentional about it. Don't just, you know, run into someone and just, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for you. Although that should be what overflows out of a thankful heart. But be intentional about it. Let them feel like they are appreciated and loved. And I promise you, the more you do that, the more you're going to start to see in your life the good things of God. And the easier it's going to be for you in all circumstances to say, God, this is a bad situation, but you are good. And I thank you for what you've done in my past. And I am excited about what you are doing right now, even though I can't see it. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we love you. God, we love you. We have so much to be thankful for. And God, I I pray that you would forgive me for all of the times that I have either neglected or forgotten or even refused to give you thanks. God, I pray that you would forgive us for that because you have deserved it. Lord, we don't want to be like the other nine. God, we want to be like the one that came running back shouting, praise God, praise God. You have been so good. Thank you for all you've done. And Lord, I pray that that would be our heart, that that would be on the heart of every person in this body here today, that our minds and our attention, that our focus would be set on you, Jesus, and that as we bring up a a praise and a worship to you, God, that you would be glorified in it, that you'd be pleased with it, God, as you say in your word, that you, you make yourself at home on the praises of your people, and I pray that you would just make yourself at home in our thanksgiving, God, that we would be intentional about not making thanksgiving a once a year thing, but that it would be an every day, every hour thing, God, that we would be the most thankful people that this world has ever seen. God, we worship you, not just for what you've done with your hands, but for who you are, God. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before you leave, thank somebody here in this place. Amen. I love you so much, church. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you soon.